0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And
1: I'm Mark. Thanks for tuning in today.
0: Yeah, we are here. It's my favorite time of year. And we are going to do a themed month of October with, in in hand quotes, spooky animals. Now, the thing that's spookiest to me though about all of this is Mark thinks that fall is (laughs) the worst time of year. And I am just... Oh, I probably shouldn't even tell people. They're going to think less of you. Who hates fall? My, Mark?
1: my Q score just went way down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm obsessed with fall. I'm obsessed with spooky Halloween, uh, true crime, all of that. And you don't like fall. Why again? Jenna's tell the, the Halloween that. queen
1: around these parts. And I'm not trying to disrespect. It's just, you know, I'm a bigger fan of the spring when it's like we're working into the warm season. Now it's a little bit depressing for me because like... The summer's over with. It's getting darker earlier. I really like like my nighttime walks, and now it's getting dark at like 7 p.m. Soon it's going to be dark at 5 p.m., and I'm just not going to know what to do with myself. But
0: that is <laughs> winter. You can't have something against fall. Winter is the issue here. But seriously, on a serious note, we wanted to go over some different animals that a lot of people might find spooky or scary or don't like for whatever reason, and we want to change your minds, hopefully, maybe hopefully. just like 50%. Help you like these animals more. So uh, we have a special guest today, also named Jenna. Mark, I'll let you do the intros.
1: Yeah. Today we're being joined by Jenna Lamping, who's one of the senior keepers in our reptile department. And like Jenna said, she's here to change some of our minds about these quote unquote creepy, crawly animals. Thank you so much for joining us today for spending your time to educate us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I do think a little bit less of you because I love fall. Yes. So, oh, man. Well, I, I don't want her to think disappointed.
0: less of me, but I'm glad she's on my side. <laughs> I'm outnumbered
2: here. (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely outnumbered. No, I like you a lot. I just think you have very bad opinions.
0: (laughs) Okay, so speaking of opinions, I was asking our team earlier, and Mark and I have had this discussion, Like, and I've talked about with my family, and why do people find certain animals, like snakes, spiders, and whatnot, creepy when nothing's ever happened to them? They haven't actually had a scary moment with them or maybe seen one as scary to them. But, you know, for example... I like spiders, but my younger sister, it's one of her biggest fears, but we were raised by the same parents. It's not like our parents Mm -hmm. went around telling us that spiders were bad or having big reactions when there was a spider in the house or anything. So it's very interesting to me why, and we want to kind of talk about the myths around snakes and have you tell us the cute things or the fun things or actually just really interesting things about snakes in general. But we always start off by asking our guest, kind of how you got to where you are um, how did you always know you wanted to be a reptile keeper? How did you get started at the zoo or in this field, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually switched out my major junior college, um, and decided I wanted to be a zookeeper. Even though I was uh, told the challenges it would be, it would you know to get there, it'd be really tough, very competitive. Um, but I was like, you know, zoos are amazing. I grew up here in Cincinnati. I've always loved the Cincinnati Zoo, and I, that wanted. I wanted that to be my goal, Um, so I got an internship in 2015, right out of college. I worked with Wild Encounters, did some guest outreach, I got to work with a lot of snakes, a lot of other animals. I've always liked snakes. My first uh, snake that I had at home was a ball python um, in college, so I always appreciated them um, and I had the opportunity to become a temp keeper at Reptile House. Where I got to, um, I think my aha moment was I got to watch an Angle and Python hatch from its egg. And oh, that was so cool. the most incredible experience. And it was as I was watching this animal, it was just like, yep, that's what I want to do forever. So um, here I am now. Um, it's been five years, full-time reptiles, and um, I couldn't be happier. I'm so excited to talk about snakes. I think they're amazing. Um, and yeah, I just live and breathe reptiles and amphibians.
0: So I have to ask, what were you studying or planning on doing before you decided you wanted to be a zookeeper?
2: Yeah, when I first started college, I um, wanted to. I started with criminal justice actually oh, because do you like true crime too? I love true okay. crime. <laughs> that's that's why you crime. guys like Halloween, so <laughs> right? I like probably true we crime like the people. spooky <laughs> stuff in general. Maybe that's a common denominator. I don't know. Love the true crime. I really wanted to be um, a park ranger or um, work with the like canine, like still with animals. Kind okay, if I wanted, where I wanted to be, one of those officers riding a horse, like wow. you know, oh, right? yeah, those yeah. are cool. So still kind of animal related. Mm-hmm. And then I weirdly went to um, psychology, which is another, I guess, true crime reference. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with uh, psychology in general. And uh, then I just, you know, everyone was like, Jenna, you love animals. This is what you want to do. And so I was like, yeah, that's true. So I switched it up. Sorry, did you say, when did you become full-time here? I came, became full-time um, in
0: 2018.
2: Okay. So about, yeah, I, I just uh, celebrated my fifth year anniversary as a full-time reptile keeper. Congrats. Congrats. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: That's amazing. So obviously we'll get into the snakes and you're going to teach us all about them, but you do work with some other species, right? What is kind of like the breadth of animals that you work with in the reptile department?
2: Yeah. The beauty of reptiles is that we work with so many different kinds of animals, which is awesome. Um, one of my favorites that I work with, I'm sure, is a big guest favorite are our uh, Galapagos tortoises. Yes. We're going to have to have you come on and talk to
0: us about I those I could talk time. about yeah. those guys for hours. Everyone loves the tortoises,
1: They're for amazing.
2: Sure. So, you know, we've got turtles and tortoises. We've got salamanders. Um, you know, our guests have seen our hellbenders, which is, you know, our biggest salamander in the U.S. Uh, so they're pretty incredible. You also have your lizards. We just got our new Komodos in. So j- big lizards. We have small lizards. Um... Frogs, toads—there's so many things um, that we work with. So it's not just snakes, but um, you know, reptiles incorporate um, or encompass uh, just a ton of diversity. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I always feel like it should be called like the herpetology <clears throat> department. But I, most people probably don't know the herpetology reference because I think the amphibians—I'm such an amphibian guy. Like oh, I love right. salamanders, I love awesome. frogs and toads, and it's like. That's what I would be most excited about if I was in the reptile <laughs> department. Wouldn't even be the reptiles, it'd be the amphibians. It's yeah. true,
2: yeah. I think we've always been called reptile department, and it rolls off the tongue a little easier. Yeah. But to be more accurate, we are herpetology department. We work in, you know, even, I wouldn't say we actively study, but I think even studying the behavior of our animals we have in our zoo is still research in a way. So we are kind of herpetology, which is the study of reptiles and amphibians. And
0: our department encompasses all of those animals.
1: Hmm.
0: So a lot of people don't necessarily love reptiles in general, but we know that snakes are one of the ones that people are most nervous about. So we've been kind of looking up and asking friends and trying to figure out why these snakes aren't loved or what causes the fear. So we wanted to ask you a few questions about like myths that are out there and see if you can help us change some minds about snakes let's do it change
1: some minds maybe you'll say some of these myths are actually true it's not myth it's fact maybe you'll say some of these myths nope it's not true at all we're busting this thing today so we got <laughs> we do have a list of myths that we've like jenna said we found online or popular we found through asking family and friends or kind of popular the first myth that people always quote they say snakes are slimy they're really gross they're slimy i don't <laughs> want to touch them get them away from me what would you say to that
2: yeah, I would say, I wouldn't say that they're slimy. I would say maybe we're thinking of some sort of salamanders. There are some salamanders that have no legs and some have very tiny legs. So maybe what you're thinking is a snake is just a really slimy salamander. Um, now, some snakes could have some stuff on them, you know, depending on where you find them. Mud snakes, worm snakes, water snakes are going to be hanging out in water and mud. So, but otherwise snakes really aren't slimy. Um, you don't really leave with nastiness on your mm-hmm. hands like you would a salamander. Um, you know, most of them are actually just pretty smooth and dry.
0: I was going to say, they don't produce any sort of mucus nope. and like you mentioned, they're dry. And when I was working at Wild Encounters, I would describe a lot of the snakes as feeling like a really smooth basketball. Mm-hmm. Like they have mm-hmm. the little tiny bumps that are on little a basketball, texture. kind of yeah. like their scales. But they're almost soft in a way. Is that what you like? Kind of. That's a it's, weird thing to say, it's, but
2: yeah, it's kind of hard to to describe, right? So because different snakes feel different. I haven't like I talked about that before. The Angolan python, I would say, feels straight like a basketball. Okay. Very bumpy. Mm. But then you get something like um, you have a king snake or a crebo. Um, these are really they're so smooth that they do kind of feel soft in a way it's just like such a smooth texture it kind of feels really cool Uh Um, but again not slimy at all you're just left feeling like wow that's really interesting Um, yeah
1: and I think that's such a cool aspect because both of you have a background with wild encounters like I never worked in wild encounters but I've heard the kind of reaction from guests before when they do get to touch a snake for the first time and they say that's not at all what I thought a snake felt like so I'm sure that's got to be really rewarding on the wild encounters and to have those experiences.
0: And, you know, I reference the hippos a lot just because that's what I work with the most. But hippos are slimy. Hippos are <laughs> gross. Hippos produce mucus and are covered in poop half the time. No, yeah, what the heck? I mean, yeah, snakes deserve the credit. They're going to be cleaner, drier, and probably softer. <laughs> like, honestly. <Probably. laughs> I can
1: confirm. If you did a blindfold test and you touched a snake and then you touched a You'd hippo, be very surprised, you would say the hippo's is disgusting. Gosh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish we could do that with a (laughs) Let them like
0: check it out for themselves. But yeah, so pretty much 100% a myth that snakes are slimy.
1: Myth. Stamp it. It's a myth. All right. What about the fact that snakes are quote unquote cold-blooded? They're cold-blooded killers out there. What would you say to that?
2: Oh man. Well, uh, I would say there's some truth to them being cold-blooded. So we actually prefer to call them ectotherms based on how their bodies work. So Reptiles will need to use external sources to heat themselves up. So that's why they really rely on the sun a lot of the times to warm up for the day. Whereas us, we don't have to utilize the sun necessarily. So we're kind of going through our own body processes to adapt to the environment. So cold-blooded is something that has been you know, coined for reptiles. But I would say the more accurate term is ectotherm. And they're definitely not cold-blooded killers, I think. Um, I think that's more of a, an anthropomorphizing uh, trait that people tend to put on them. I think they're just trying to, to hunt and, and survive in the wild, just like any other animal is trying to do.
0: Right. They're, they're predators. Of course they have to eat. They just aren't lucky enough as we are to go to the grocery and right. that'll be handled for us prior <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to purchasing this food. So they're just feeding themselves. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So that one, there's maybe a little bit of truth to the background, but it's gotten taken to a little bit extreme, I think. I yeah. I think a little. Yeah. All right, how about this one? You hear that snakes are very aggressive and they like to chase people.
2: Yeah, I would say that's pretty much a myth. Now, there could be some outliers out there. Um, You know, you could be seeing a mom maybe defending her eggs. Who knows? Um, You know, moms can be very defensive um, with any species, I think. think That's just a natural instinct. But to say that uh, snakes are aggressive, I think, is complete myth. Um, For the most part, snakes want to avoid us. We're big and scary and loud One of my favorite things to talk about in particular, I think um, a lot of people may be really uncomfortable around rattlesnakes, but one thing that I think is super nice is rattlesnakes literally have an evolutionary adaptation to tell us what their boundaries are. You know, they're giving us a rattling and saying, hey, I'm here, please don't come near me. I'm Mm -hmm. setting these boundaries. And a lot of rattlesnake bites are typically people who step on them or are just trying to handle them. Um, a lot of snake bites happen on the hands, people not paying attention or messing with animals they probably should have left to be. Um, so I think when you, you'll find a lot of snakes, you come towards them, they're going in the opposite direction. Um, I think aggressiveness depends if you're handling this animal, a lot of snakes or anything really, if you're picking up a wild animal, that's a really scary thing for them probably. Mm. And, and who wouldn't want to defend themselves? So I think that needs to be taken into perspective. Right.
0: They're going to defend themselves. And of course, well, you can talk maybe a little bit more about it, but... When they do bite or strike to catch their prey, they have to be fast. But oftentimes, like you mentioned, people who are getting bit by rattlesnakes are accidentally stepping on them because the snake is trying so hard to blend in and hide the last thing they want to do is like come out from hiding and find somebody just to bite them so exactly they're They're, most likely just defending themselves or hunting if you see them move quickly yeah Mm -hmm. they for sure see
2: you and in their mind they're just like please don't come over here you know it's kind of a last resort because biting you is a you know revealing where they are and B, it can hurt some animals. They can lose some teeth. They can really mess them up, too. So they don't want to bite you. They want to also, being an ectotherm, they need to conserve energy. So they are saving that energy for something that's necessary. So mm-hmm. hunting. They need to wait for that food, food choice. You know, uh, snakes, they don't eat every day. They're opportunistic. There could be a snake that doesn't eat for a month. And so they're waiting and they're saving that energy for when they can actually get food to survive. So them wasting energy on biting a person just is not worth it to them.
1: Yeah, I thought that one was interesting, and I feel like that kind of speaks to that. That would be someone's opinion who hasn't really spent any time around snakes, right? Because, like, yeah. every time I've ever been out hiking or out in the wild at all, and you come across a snake, 99% of the times I've ever encountered a snake, it's trying to get away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. not coming towards me at all. It's going the opposite direction. It is, like, and I
2: think you have to you have to look really hard for snakes sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? I'll go out, and we call it herping, so you're going out looking for snakes, looking for For frogs, anything, um, reptiles or amphibian, and it is a chore. You're looking under things. You know, they're really good at hiding. You could have come across a snake, for example, around Cincinnati. We've got black rat snakes. Those guys are actually pretty docile. Um, I would say snakes are more curious than anything. You have um, a snake that maybe is not afraid, but they're flicking their tongue, and they're just... Once they know that you're not going to hurt them, typically they're just kind of curious on what's going on. So, And then you let them go, and they'll go on their way. So. Yeah,
1: will you, will you elaborate on the flicking the tongue behavior? I think that's something that does creep some people that's out. A people good are point. like, why are they flicking their tongues out? That's yeah. creepy. <laughs> yeah,
2: and the forked tongue doesn't help them <laughs>
1: yeah. at all.
0: Forked tongue <laughs> does not
2: help. Probably a bad, sti- bad stigma there. But So they have what's called a Jacobson's organ, and uh, pretty much it contributes to their sense of smell. So they're the reason they have a forked tongue is it kind of helps them zone in on where the smell that they're looking for is at what direction they need to go. And so when they're sticking their tongue out, if you're seeing a lot of that, that means they're picking up on all of these scents. And that's just how they're taking in their environment. They're smelling, um, you know, their their smelling doesn't work like we do. So that's how they're figuring out what's going on in their environment. So just, yeah,
0: curious just and using their ability to figure out exactly, which is their tongue.
1: Yep. All right. I like that one. Another Another myth we have here is that snakes are so dangerous and all snakes are venomous.
2: Yeah, total myth. Total myth. Stamp it. Stamp it. Total (laughs) myth. (laughs) Total (laughs) myth. So, fun fact. So we have over 3,000 species of snakes in the world, which is crazy. It's a lot of species. Now, put that in perspective, only 600 of those are considered venomous. To break it down even more, only about 200 of those are actually dangerous to people, meaning providing significant injury or even death. Um, so you're talking around 7% of snakes can actually cause harm to a person. And depending on where you live, you could have no venomous around you at all. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati, we don't have venomous snakes, so we don't, you know, we don't even have any of that percentage in there. So I think that's a, a, a really big myth, um, and that's one reason why a lot of snakes get killed. They're, they're um, you know, misidentified. As dangerous, and so you know you have snakes that look like venomous, or people just think that they're scary. But in fact, more snakes you see are totally harmless and just trying to do their own thing. Um, and I would say even venomous snakes, um, there are some venomous that you get a bite and it may you know it won't kill you, but you probably should still you know make sure that you're seeking proper medical
0: attention. But um, more often than not, you're going to be okay. So something that kind of that goes with that is. <laughs> venomous snakes kill their prey with venom but there's also this scary part of constrictors or snakes that constrict their prey can you just talk about the feeding process and how it works or the hunting process i guess because are venomous snakes like biting and putting the venom into their prey and then wrapping around them or are they just starting to swallow them whole and then what's the difference between a constrictor biting their prey and then how like can you just explain that process so it's super fascinating so you've got your constrictor snakes your
2: pythons your boas even rat snakes will will constrict their prey so a lot of snakes do do this that aren't necessarily classified in that constrictor Mm -hmm. um, category but these are snakes that usually have lots of teeth um, because they're designed to bite wrap and they're just trying to hold on and, and they're squeezing and they're constricting blood flow pretty much to that animal until they're able to consume um, you have some snakes that don't. They actually more overpower their prey. So you're looking at king snakes will do this. They're snake eaters. Mm. So they will just start eating the snakes. King cobras, they do use venom. So there is also a different way of how venomous snakes eat. Okay. Not all venomous eat the same. So you've got a lot of rattlesnakes who have those iconic two fangs that you see in you know, skeletal structures. Um, so these guys are designed for quick strikes and then they pretty much are able to track the proteins of their venom and follow where their prey has eventually mm. died. So
1: they, oh. they don't hang on.
2: They tag and they wait. and then. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very cool. So that's one thing we do um, when we take care of the snakes here. Sometimes for enrichment, we'll allow our snakes to kind of tag. It's frozen thawed always, so we don't feed live. Um but we'll we'll offer the food to the snake and sometimes we'll hide it somewhere and that way they tag it and then they're searching for it which is mm. something they would do in the wild whereas if you have let's say a king cobra they're and a gaboon viper even that's my favorite gaboon viper's your favorite yeah, they're, they're so amazing they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, anyone so was cool. wondering ours here is named Kudra and she's amazing uh, um she's awesome but <laughs> some snakes like that they can't afford to follow or chase our gaboon is you know, they're designed to just sit. If everyone's ever seen her, she's very big-bodied. She's it's a thick, lot of energy. It. She's a thick. She thick looks girl. like leaf litter. And it's she amazing. Looked, she's supposed to blend in. She's not supposed to do much. Um, but her king cobras, some other snakes, they are designed to grab and latch on, and that's why these guys actually produce the most venom yield because they're just hanging on and they're pumping venom because they don't want to let go what okay. they have. Um, so that's a difference between those two venomous snakes, but. Uh, and so you'll notice that those guys don't have the bunch of little teeth. Kings are a little bit different than that, but Gaboons also have the fangs, so usually it's, that's for the pumping of venom. But your constrictor snakes, lots of tiny teeth, um, just so that they can try to hang on, you know. Things are not gonna willingly let them squeeze them, so they have to be able to hang on really tight
0: to be able to secure that meal. I didn't know they did the tracking. That's really interesting to me. Another reason they need to stick their tongue out and use their tongue. Very important. Um, Mm -hmm. But so, for the black rat snake, let's say, for example, they bite, but they're not considered a constrictor, but they will constrict. Is that correct? They will. So think about
2: seeing a, if you see a rat snake in a tree, maybe, let's say it happens to get a bird, you know, it is going to have to hang on and wrap around it so that bird won't fly away. So you've got rat snakes that do love to hang out in trees. Um, so it's just a, an adaptation for them to just trying to secure a meal. Why are they not
0: considered like constrictors or in that same group? Was there a difference in,
2: um, I, it could just be the amount of maybe muscles that they have doing that. I'm not exactly sure of that because they're a whole different family of snakes They're So rat snakes are considered our colubrids. So you've got your, um, you know, your rat snakes, your, um, you know, king snakes, things like that. But then you have your constrictor snakes,
0: which are classically seen as your pythons and your boas. And they seem, in my opinion, which is not probably, I don't know, thicker or like bigger bodied. They are. Than typ- like a typically black rat than a black yeah, rat Yeah, they're snake. not like the thin... Yeah.
2: They're designed, I mean, sheer... I think there's definitely a muscle difference. Yeah, um, okay. When you're looking at a boa and a python versus a rat snake, a corn snake, things like that, you can feel mm. the muscles in those snakes, but when you're talking about a bow or a python, yeah. it's just on a whole nother level. So.
1: Yeah. Will you humor, humor me real quick? One of my biggest pet peeves in all of life <laughs> is when people <laughs> use the wrong term and they mix up poison and venom. Oh, will, okay, you, yeah. will you educate people on the difference between poison and venom? Because. The first thing I noticed when I googled venomous snakes is all of these articles listing poisonous snakes. <laughs> it's a
2: challenge isn't it? because it's, you know, they, they seem to be in very similar categories, but there is a really simple way to think about it. So if something bites you and you get sick or injured from it, it was venomous. Now, if you bite something else or eat something else and it makes you sick, it's poisonous. So I think there's maybe one or two species of poisonous snake out there. We're still learning about what a poisonous snake is. But frogs, salamanders, don't eat a frog or salamander. They're poisonous. They're, mm. they're leaking these, this mucus, these toxins. Poison dart frogs are a common example. These are things that you eat. They're going to make you not feel well, just like certain plants. Um, but yeah, as far as venom goes, that has to be injected into you. Whereas if you consume, that will make you sick.
1: All right. Thank you for clearing that up for us. Hopefully our listeners will now not um, <laughs> use the wrong term. <laughs>
0: like literally nothing bothers me. Yeah, so that's trying, really interesting that's to hear like, that that
1: really bothers that's you. like one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, and, we, and fall. Wow. Fall. Oh, God. Yeah, fall. <laughs> this guy hates don't fall. Don't even get me started on oh, fall. Oh, my gosh. Don't show him a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to stamp it. Not all snakes are venomous. It's a myth for sure. All right. Next one we have is, it's quote unquote creepy the way that snakes will dislocate their jaws to eat. (laughs)
2: Um, I would say that would be creepy if it was true. So contrary to popular belief is they don't actually dislocate their jaws. Um, They do have a a function. It kind of looks like it, but they're able to manipulate uh, their mouth to where they can swallow big prey. But they are not, they are in fact not dislocating their jaws to do so.
1: There are Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, no. I just think it's really incredible. I was going to ask more about how they actually swallow their prey. And I think of the snakes that eat other snakes. And it's just like, where does it go? How <laughs> do, like, can you explain that at all? Like, obviously they have an esophagus and a trachea. But how in the world... Do they have something just slowly moving through their long, straight body? Crazy. Like, do their intestines curl up and fit together like ours do? Or are they one long line? Do you know? I... Or what helps the the prey move through their bodies? <laughs> Anything you can give us on that. Yeah, I, I, can, I can probably,
2: excuse me, I can probably give something brief, because I, you know, I'm not super, you know, educated on the total internal anatomy of the snake. I have seen some necropsies, which have been really fascinating, But I'll start with when when a snake eats, a lot of people ask me, you know, how are they not choking? What's going on there? So they, you know, they do have like a, a, you know, esophagus where they eat and everything. They also have what's called a glottis, uh, which is where their tongue comes out too. And that's also where they're able to breathe. So there's like an extra thing that allows them to breathe while they're, you know, consuming a relatively big meal. Their mouth is full and you're like, how is this snake breathing? You know, they're still able to breathe. Um, it goes down. And I would say that their intestines, if I'm correct, is definitely not quite like ours. But, you know, their stomach um, is pretty long. You know, it's, a, it's just different shape than ours. Mm-hmm. And so it's just adapted to be able to handle, um, you know, big meals like that. Because when you think about it, again, these snakes, they're not eating every day like we are. So they have to be designed to be able to eat large meals and then just sit in the sun and digest what they're eating. Um, which happens relatively quickly. Um, not as quickly as us, uh, of course, but um, yeah, their their stomach and their intestines are perfectly adapted to fit the meals that they're
0: eating. Do you know anything about what pushes the food back? Like, how are they drawing muscles. it back? Just yeah. muscles? Yeah, like-
2: muscles. So, when you watch a snake eat, you'll see that they're moving and they're kind of twerking their body and they're just moving that down. It's sheer muscle, which is another reason that they're super cool. Is you know they they don't have any arms, so it's like how are they doing this? They're just doing this just by the muscles of their neck and then all the way down.
1: That's interesting. And you did mention you know a lot of these species are only eating once every couple weeks. That's true of our snakes here at the zoo too, right? Like most of them are getting what a meal every ten or twelve days or something like that.
2: Depending on the species, Um, our gaboon viper, for example, sometimes she doesn't get a meal for two months. Depends on the size, you know. Sometimes I'll give her a really big meal. And, you know, her being an animal that doesn't move around a lot, she doesn't exert a lot of energy, she does not need to be overfed because you can overfeed a snake. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very common and you have to be careful not to because that ultimately affects their longevity um, and can cause other issues later on.
0: Wow. I didn't realize they would eat if they weren't hungry. You know, there are some animals like us, humans, that will eat when we're full or eat even though we shouldn't eat something. But I didn't realize a lot of animals would overeat. I mean... Hippos probably would. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize snakes, were. snakes would. Snakes definitely
2: will, especially animals like who are very food motivated. King snakes are a really uh, good example. They will eat almost anything. So, yeah, you offer them a food item, and they're going to eat. And so they're a, an animal that can quickly get uh, overweight. Okay. I guess if they're
0: opportunistically eating, they're like, oh, here's an opportunity. They're
1: like, yeah. I'm going to get
2: as much as I can, because yeah. I don't know when I'll get it next. Yeah,
1: which is fair. All right, last couple I have. And I think these more depend on kind of what part of the world you're in, where you're from. Um, but read a lot online thinking that people think that sna- snakes are attracted to milk and snakes are attracted to music. Hmm. And I think these come from a lot of kind of like the the snake charming, like that mm-hmm. kind of practice that was very popular in Asia for a long time. But would you say that from your experience, snakes are attracted to music or... Snakes are attracted to milk.
2: Yeah, I have heard the whole milk thing in Indonesia. I've heard that um, people native to that area have set out bowls of milk for king cobras, and they've reported that king cobras will come and drink from these. Hmm. I wouldn't say that they're attracted to the milk, but if if that is true. Probably just because it's um, a liquid source. It's something for them to hydrate themselves. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to put out a bowl of water, they would probably do the same thing. You know, they have to be able to coexist with these animals um, in an entirely different way than we do um, here with the snakes that we have. So, and they seem to have a relatively good relationship with the cobras there, very healthy respect. Um, so I think that's the whole deal with the milk thing, um, if I'm correct. As far as music, um, I would say they're not, uh, I would say they're not attracted to music because snakes actually don't have ears. They, they can't hear. So they kind of respond, they, they have bones that actually respond to vibrations. So they have the ability to feel vibrations, whatever that means. So they can probably feel music. But if I were a snake, I would not be drawn to that. I would say that'd be kind of scary, and I'd probably go somewhere else. Um, As far as the snake charmers, I think it's more of a visual thing. Cobras are really visual. Um, Even our King Cobra here, when when we work with him, he's constantly looking around and seeing what's up. Um, They're pretty smart animals, and so I think it's more of the motion of what those people are Mm -hmm. doing. That is, these snakes are following them and, you know, just trying to see, like, what's going on. I'm going to keep a really close eye on you, kind of thing.
1: Definitely not the music that's doing it. It's definitely the, well, kind not of the, the dance music. the Charmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a myth. Yeah. It's a myth. Jenna, I, I, that's all the myths that I have. Do you have anything else?
0: Well, not a myth, really, but I think their movement, which we've talked a little bit about, is mm-hmm. what kind of freaks people out. They don't have arms and legs, and they're moving across the ground, and sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's slow. Um, Is there anything you could tell us to explain just how, you know, the word slithery is used in these answers I received. Um, Can you explain that at all or teach us anything about their movement that might seem cool and less creepy to people? Yeah, they do have multiple types of
2: movement, um, you know, depending on the snake species. And yeah, all I can say is, you know, when you don't have arms and legs it'd be kind of tricky to get around. So again, they're using their muscles. <laughs> yeah. you know. Doing the best they can folks. They're doing the <laughs> best they can guys. You know, so don't. we should say
1: to anyone who thinks they're slithery, try and get on the ground and move around without your arms and legs. That's honestly a, a really great out. activity <laughs>
2: because man, I feel like it'd be so hard to be a snake. Like yeah. I, I think that all the things they have to do climbing trees, you have rat snakes that can literally scale walls, yeah. you know, and they're doing this with pure muscle. Um, And I think it's just the only way that they can get them, you know, if you describe a snake as being super slithery, probably because they're, you know, they're moving in that S-shaped pattern and they're just trying really hard to get away or that's the fastest they can move is just moving their body in those particular patterns just to get away and find somewhere safe to hide. So, um, yeah, guys, I think they're doing the best they can with what they've got.
1: I think so too. And I think it's honestly fascinating seeing like, like you mentioned the different kinds of locomotion that snakes exhibit. Like I've always seen, like, the videos on National Geographic and stuff of the sidewinders yes, in the desert. Yes, it's a classic example. Watching them move across the sand dunes is, like, it's amazing, incredible stuff, yeah.
0: And, like, a little sand boa burying itself down
2: there. <Yeah>. They're <laughs> just hanging out. You've got snakes that literally are trying to use their noses to dig. Um, you know, you've got them wrapping around trees, trying really hard to just get up in the tree. It's
0: a lot of work. Do you have any snakes that you particularly love or could tell us about? Yeah, so I
2: think um, a really beautiful snake that we have here in the United States is, of course, a corn snake. And one reason I really like talking about these guys is because I think that they... um, are unfortunately, uh, the victim of a lot of, um, bad stigma because they're really brightly colored. And I think one thing we always, you know, learned when we were younger is if it's colorful, don't touch it, which is a good rule in general. I think when it comes to snakes, you should always know what you're looking at before you decide to do anything. Um, but corn snakes are one really colorful and two, they get mistaken a lot for copperheads, which are venomous. Um, Mm -hmm. and so unfortunately it, 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 um, It ends up with these guys getting
0: killed for, uh, you know, a lot of times. So, I'm surprised that they get mistaken. Like, I don't, I'm not super familiar with copperheads. And maybe I've just seen the brighter, like, more colorful corn snakes, but do they really look that much alike, or is there... I think if you aren't as familiar with snakes and you have a fear,
2: I think they can be. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. there are some corn snakes that are bright and beautiful, but there are some that are actually a little bit more duller in color same with copperheads. You've got some darker, more dull copperheads and then bright, beautiful copperheads. When you're also looking at babies, babies look way different too. Okay. And so Aww. when you don't know what you're looking at, you may think that, Oh, this could potentially be a really dangerous animal. And, uh, cop- uh corn snakes are something that people will probably encounter quite frequently, especially in the Southeastern U S. Um, they like to hang out, near where a lot of rodents are um so that's going to be barns it's going to be cornfields things like that so a lot of rural areas will have corn snakes Um, which should
0: be added to the list as why you should leave them alone because they're going to help with the rodent population of
2: course Mm -hmm. yeah if you if you've ever lived on a farm or a rural property you know that rodents are such a pain. Rodents, moles, shrews, things like that, that'll affect your crops. Snakes are there to help you out, um, and they're not—they're not, they're not going to bother you. They really just want to leave—you know—leave you alone, and they just want to eat. You may see mm-hmm. their snake shed every now and then, um, which could be a little creepy, probably, if you see one hanging around. But to me, it's a good sign. I think it's a good omen to have a snake because that means that they're kind of controlling that rodent population for you. Um, And yeah, I didn't know if we also wanted to talk about, you know, the good things about, you know.
0: Definitely. Yes. And also, I know it might be creepy, like you said, the snake sheds. But it's also incredible. It's amazing. That they somehow shed Shed everything. I don't understand it. And it comes off (laughs) during a good shed in one piece. Like, even their eye coverings are attached. Like, I just, it's incredible that they can... Again, they don't have little hands to they're help this, this off. Himself. It's all muscle and yes. movement and rubbing against things. and Guys, they just have blow a hard away. life,
2: you know. It's a lot of work. Um, sheds are amazing, you know. And Can you, you c- explain also why they do the shedding? Yeah, I think the shedding is important because it helps them. You know, you have baby snakes. They're constantly growing. So really they shed, I mean, people shed, right? We just shed a little bit differently. We sh- shed in more, you know, flakes, even though it's kind of gross. <laughs> think about it that yeah, way. That's <laughs> more gross than snakes. <laughs> um, you know, snakes do the same thing, but they just do it in one big stretch because it's more efficient for them, you know, and you have, they actually, it's part of their self care. If they get an injury or have some sort of lesion, their body is triggered to shed that skin to help the healing process go a lot smoother. Um, so that's another reason why they do it. It's it's pretty important. Um, and you got to think that shed is probably food for different insects. I'm sure birds are probably using it for nests. So it does play its own part its own part in the ecosystem as well. It's very cool. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that birds are taking it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why not? It's right. like soft and you know pliable. You can you know do whatever they do with it. Yeah. So but yeah um i think yeah snake sheds are important corn snakes do that too we I forgot think- to talk about the bellies if you ever see yes, a corn snake with a belly that. it has like a maze uh, pattern um super cool snake yeah they're maize as not like, a like the pretty fall corn. yes yeah, such a pretty
0: fall snake really <laughs> yeah i think they're just a
1: pretty snake not, not even for fall i just think they're a pretty snake in general oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: decorative falls <laughs> <laughs> they're a
2: perfect theme for fall yes <sighs> they should be a mascot for fall
1: honestly if you're going through any corn mazes this year leave the corn snakes alone <laughs> yes, if you see a right. corn snake in the corn maze <laughs> just let the corn snake do its own thing Good thing you know
0: <laughs> Um, but you mentioned or asked if we should talk about the good that snakes do, and absolutely tell us some of the things that people may not know or um just reiterate why snakes are good to have around.
2: Yeah, so pretty much snakes are super important to our ecosystem. So and, and we've talked about venomous snakes, right? So obviously venomous snakes are scary. Um they can really do you a lot of harm, and if you get bit by one, it's no joke. Um but that is also why we respect wildlife, right? But we also have to think about the good that they're doing. So timber rattlesnakes, for example, which we have here in the U.S. um, It's been studied that where there are populations of timber rattlesnakes, there's actually less um, of a risk of Lyme disease. These animals are eating rodents. That are prime carriers for t- uh, ticks and therefore Lyme mm. disease. So you have these timbers that are controlling this population, and that affects us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, any any avid it's hikers out there? It's worse these days. It's, I've heard. It's very. It's a lot worse. They talk about climate change affecting all of this. You know, you love your cats and dogs, but you know these ticks are no joke, and these timbers are kind of doing their part and helping us out there. Um, you've got your copperheads. Copperhead venom is right now um, being w- stu- widely studied in how it can affect breast cancer. So they're looking at how the proteins of this venom is targeting the tumors, and they're actually reducing the spread to the lungs, which is an effective way that breast cancer spreads. So um, you know, I, I there's my people in my family have been affected by breast cancer, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that is an incredible thing that these snakes
0: are able to, um, help us out. Can you explain to listeners, like, how they're helping and how they even get this venom to test it? Yeah, so there are,
2: um, places like, you know, Kentucky Reptile Zoo has so many venomous snakes, and their main goal and mission is to, they, what they call milk their snakes. So these snakes are, you know, they're living good lives, and every now and then they get milk. So they get, you know, a vial of venom, And that venom is sent off to labs to be studied and, um, you know, seeing what they can do with it. And through that, they've also been able to determine that venom is actually something that could possibly in the future prevent Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And so all of these snakes, especially our U.S. snakes, we're figuring this out now, um, are able to contribute to that based on their their snake venom. So snake venom is not necessarily a bad thing. It has Mm -hmm. its really good uh, properties. And the great thing is these snakes aren't injured during this. Uh, Snakes are constantly producing venom. They don't have to be killed. They don't have to lose body parts in order to contribute to science. Um, They are, you know, literally living their best life and occasionally maybe get a little uncomfortable getting some venom out. But um, it's, you know, going towards a lot of really good research.
0: And the venom is not being extracted exactly from By humans doing something to pull it out, they're actually biting onto... Yes, so, yeah, how it works is the
2: snake actually bites, it's a type of, um, I guess a funnel with a plastic sheet over it, and the snakes bite it, and you can just see the venom going down, Mm -hmm. because it's like their instinct, right, is to bite certain things, um, and that's how they get it. So, the, the snakes aren't injured during this at all, and it's a pretty quick process, um, you Know Kentucky Reptile Zoo, they can milk, I mean, 200 snakes in an hour. I mean, it's wow. very quick. So, wow. it's a, you're talking about a very acute stress, which we've talked about sometimes in zoos, that acute stress is sometimes important for animals. You know, it's something they would experience in the wild too. So, um, it's really good work that they're doing.
0: This is something you may not know much about, but I just thought of it like so snakes, their fangs are teeth, and they have holes, or I don't know what the right, correct word would be for venom to just tunnels you
1: know what i mean like yeah, I can't, yeah. is there a
0: word for that the holes that the venom actually pours what... out of not pores. that's too strong of a word but it is incredible that's it like can... a
1: syringe almost it, yeah and that's how
0: they
2: they pretty much equate it to is like a like a hypodermic needle okay it's it's like injection needle almost and it comes from a gland so the gland is contracted and it sends it through kind of like a very tiny hole but it's just like you know,
0: squeezing a needle, um, into, into something. And that's kind of how it works. So interesting though. Like we don't want holes in our teeth that would cause a lot of issues (laughs) and (laughs) cavities and all sorts of things. But I I mean, it's just, yeah, Yeah. I've never thought about it until now. And it's very interesting. It is interesting. They're fascinating guys. They're amazing. (laughs) Um, and yeah, oh my gosh, if they can help prevent, well, cure breast cancer potentially, you know, Um, stop Alzheimer's. That would be amazing. Amazing, and that's why we need to keep these animals
2: around. Not just for us, but um, you know. But we need. I think we need to be aware that these guys aren't just scary and just you know wreaking havoc on everything. They are playing a super important part. You know. So we've talked about the venom. We've talked about the rodents. Any avid gardeners out there around here? You've got garter snakes. They're eating the your slugs, the, your snails. They're eating you know things that could be potentially going after your gardens. So if you see a garter snake around here you know, let him do his thing. He's helping your garden grow, Mm -hmm. which helps pollinators, um, which we all love. Mm -hmm. Um, We all appreciate here at the zoo. Anybody who's, you know, part of their pollinator garden program here, um, garter snakes are a really important part of that too. So um, I think snakes are just, um, I think we just need to be more aware of why
0: they're good to have around. Yes. And that's why Mm -hmm. we wanted you here today. So thank you. No problem.
1: Definitely. We love to hear about all the good that snakes do. I do have a question for you, though. Obviously, we've talked about, you know, venomous snakes in the wild, just live and let live. Mm -hmm. But obviously, like you said, you do need to pay some respect to venomous snakes and just be aware of um, just kind of their power in general. You guys at the zoo, obviously, you have to handle venomous snakes in some regard. Like, what kind of safety measures do you go through when you do have to handle venomous snakes? Like,
2: yeah, a lot of safety. So we are we do not free handle our venomous snakes. Um, you know, like I said, these animals are super dangerous. You know, you have animals like our king cobra, um, which its venom is extremely deadly. Um, so we have um, anti venom at the hospital across the street. We have a really good relationship with the staff there, and we actually run venom drills. So um, pretty much we have snake bite alarms in our building. And if one of us were to get bit, we have a protocol. We always work venomous with another person in the building. Um, and if you know, we were to get bit, someone pops that button. And we've timed it to where you know, we've had um, the ambulance meet us, and we've gotten to the gate of our zoo in seven minutes. So, and we're constantly trying to make that as short of time as possible Mm -hmm. because at this point, seconds matter depending on what species you've been bit by. Um, So we're constantly, you know, seeing how we can revise these protocols and these drills, but we use tools. So snake hooks are really important. You'll see a lot of people working venomous snakes using snake hooks. It's a really easy way for us to work these animals. We'll take them off habitat into containers so we can appropriately, you know, clean the habitat and do what we need to do very minimal stress on the snakes. And our snakes have honestly been worked with so much that most of them are honestly really chill. Um, mm. I would say even our King Cobra, very smart snakes. He and I, we have a routine. Um, and he is, I wouldn't even classify him as aggressive. He's just curious, and he's used to a certain way we do things. And, you know, none of us have ever been bit. None of us have even really had a close call, so...
0: And you've mentioned they're not here to go after things. They, yeah. if they not. feel threatened, then they're going to bite, but they can recognize and learn uh, over time that you're not there to threaten them or the way that you're moving or exactly. responding to their movements could.
2: I think that's a really important thing that you brought up is how we're moving. So if you're handling a venomous snake, they're very much reactive to the person that's handling them. If you're tense and you're doing you know really quick movements, that's pretty scary to a snake that doesn't know what you're going to do with them. So Really, the more comfortable you are, the more, you know, um, I guess, fluid with your motions you are with these animals and confident. Um, They honestly are super easy to work. Really, they just want to know that they're going to be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why we have no problems. Our snakes are very comfortable. They're confident animals. And we have practiced how to work with these type of animals to know, um, you know, how to not stress them out with our
0: body language. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head or if there is even this statistic out there, but a lot of people, you know, are terrified of sharks, for example. And it's really important to remind people that we are killing thousands of sharks, like an hour, Mm. I believe. And I don't know the correct statistics. I did at one point, but off the top of my head, we've talked about it on one of the episodes in the past. And sharks kill like 11 people a year, maybe. And again, don't quote me on those stats, but they're very, very low. Do you know anything similar to snakes or, or the odds of you being killed by, if you are bit by a venomous snake, like what are your odds of surviving or mm-hmm. that anything like that, that might help people <laughs> realize your odds are so slim of being harmed by one?
2: True. Yeah. I mean, I would say in the U.S., I would say we have it really a lot safer than a lot of other places in the world. You're looking at Africa, which has, you know, your, your mambas incredibly mm-hmm. dangerous Talk about indonesia australia everybody knows australia's animals are crazy right yeah. so we're pretty lucky with the animals we have and as for me someone who i mean you know a few months ago i went to a spot that is ideal habitat looking for timber rattlesnakes i've never seen one in the wild um three hours my you know my friends and i we looked for these timbers and we didn't see a sim- single timber rattlesnake these animals aren't just out there waiting to bite people. They're very hard to find. Um, snake bites—I don't have an exact percentage, but they're very low. Um, and you're talking when you're talking actual, you know, fatalities. It's also extremely low. Also, depending on the snake species. So, if you get bit by a copperhead, they have very, very low mortality rate. Um, their their venom—it stinks. You definitely want to seek medical attention, but the odds of you dying is very, very low. Um, you know, timbers. Diamondback rattlesnakes, again, a more intense venom, but if you seek medical treatment, odds are you're probably going to be okay. And that's going to be the case for a lot of snakes in the U.S. Um, So anyone can probably look up the statistics and you'll probably realize that, you know, it's really not as, um, you know, to think, life or death as it seems Mm-mm. like it's yeah you know you don't have to worry about being killed by a snake there are far more other things that you'll encounter in your life in your day to day that could be yeah. more dangerous than a venomous snake
0: yes and that's the that's the hard part right is so many people know that in their heads but still they'll they'll see something and for whatever reason there's this reaction that our certain people's brains give yeah. off like no spiders snakes you know and it's yeah i really wish we could figure it out even more than knowing why Mm -hmm. people, you know, might be afraid of them from these answers or questions we've looked up.
2: It makes you wonder. I think, you know, media probably puts things into different perspectives. I think something I just heard, like you said, spiders, black widows. I don't think there's a single case of a black widow killing somebody. Wow. Um, So, but we think of them as very scary, high venom. The bite would stink for Mm -hmm. sure. But as far as taking your life, that's a whole new level. And we don't know, we don't think that there has been, um, you know, a death. Uh, that's been actual documented, at yeah. least. But, um, you know, if anybody... I know people are scared in general of snakes, um, but, you know, keep in mind, too, that... Even snakes become prey items for things, which is important. As much as I love snakes, they play that role, too. Um, You know, birds will, you know, eat a snake here and there. Um, You have snakes that eat venomous snakes. So if you don't like snakes in general, you could appreciate a a, a non-venomous snake that actually (laughs) takes out some venomous snakes. Pretty
0: impressive, too. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you can have one snake that, you know, that you kind of like because of that reason. Yeah. But... Awesome. Well, do you have anything else you wanted to mention before we move on to, I think Mark has trivia for us today.
1: Ooh. I do have trivia. If you're up for it, if you're down to humor me,
0: Oh man, let's do it.
1: Participating. So we have mentioned it, you know, a reason that I think that snakes get such a bad rap is just cause the way they're portrayed in like pop culture and media, you know, we we've grown up pretty much your whole lives. And in, it seems like in every single TV show and cartoon and everything you watch, the snake's always the villain. Oh, yeah, snakes I, on a plane, right? Sna- <laughs> <laughs> I think snakes have always gotten such a bad rap. So we're here to talk about some snakes in pop culture okay. over the years. Oh, wow. Cool. So one movie, and maybe you, you might be able to even debunk some of these and tell us if if people need to worry about these snakes in real life, as if they're as scary as they are in the movies and TV shows. So one movie that I watched as a kid that I was actually, even though I like snakes, I was terrified by this movie. It's called Anaconda. Oh, I knew that's what we <laughs> were talking an- a great movie, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> so in the movie Anaconda, how many people does the titular Anaconda kill and eat? Oh my God.
0: Seven.
1: Jenna's going with seven.
2: I'm going to say... Twelve.
1: Twelve. You're both a little high. So in the original oh. one, it's actually... This one surprised me. In the original one, it's actually only four. What? I remembered it being much crazier than that, but I guess as the they made a lot of sequels, and the sequels started to oh. get really crazy. And by, by the <laughs> end of the sequels, they're killing like 30, 30 people in a movie. But wow. the original movie is only four. But do you need to worry about an anaconda actually eating you?
2: Um, I, I You know, I don't think so. I think it'd be really rare. No, it's hard, because I think that they're... Have been crazy instances where you know you have a large snake and a relatively small person, and there's the wrong environment, and mm. maybe this snake mistakes you as another prey item. But in general, um, we're not on an anaconda's menu. Yeah, you know they're looking for other things.
1: Yeah, I think the same. I think there's probably one or two instances where this happened, and then it it probably blew up and became this yeah, whole thing I about their man eaters exactly and the, all that. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. Next up, if you've ever seen the Jungle Book movie that I dearly loved as a kid, <laughs> Disney's Jungle Book. Ka uses what? Ka's the, the boa in Jungle Book. Or maybe he's a python. I think he's a python. Is he? Regardless, Ka in the Jungle Book. He's a boa. Ka uses what ability to try to get Mowgli?
2: What, he hypnotizes him? Oh, I just He hypnotizes recently. him.
1: You got it. Nice. Hi- hypnotism. Do we need to worry about snakes out there hypnotizing us? <laughs> I can say
2: with a hundred percent, uh no, you do not have to worry about it. Unless you're just mesmerized with how beautiful they oh, are, that's what are. I was going yeah. to say. Because they are beautiful animals, and sometimes I'm mesmerized.
1: The first time them. I saw a rainbow boa, I was surprised. Oh, I won't lie, that's, they're beautiful, they're so gorgeous. Yeah, if
2: any snake's going to mesmerize you, it's going to be a rainbow yeah, boa they're gorgeous.
1: Sure. I was interested to read this though. Ka in the Disney's Jungle Book, he's obviously a villain. But in the original Jungle Book story, he's actually um, like on Mowgli's side. He's a protagonist in the story. Whoa! Yeah, he helps out Mowgli. Well, and then what happened? He got somehow right. turned into a villain. See if that there. would have come
0: out in the movie, I we know. might be in a different place I right now. Very come true, right.
1: man. Disney, you need to do some justice. Yeah, come on, yeah. Disney. He's his
2: own movie. Sir Hiss from Robin Hood, you know, oh, He's yeah. also a
1: villain. Also yeah. a villain, yeah. All right, number three, in a famous horror movie. Starred in by Samuel Jackson. Snakes are released onto what mode of transportation?
2: I'm gonna go on a limb here and say a plane. Snakes. Uh, Canoe
1: snake is on a plane if you've ever seen this movie it's the most ridiculous movie I never not it's pretty
2: crazy it's you're in for a
0: wild ride
1: you're in for a ride i think it got like a horrible rap at the start because people thought it was like supposed to be a serious movie and i think if you just watch it as a comedy oh. it's much better that's true, that's true it's all about perspective you know you can't take it serious but it's like jenna if you haven't seen this movie it's like they're trying, I, f- I forget the exact story, but it's like he, this guy is trying to kill this witness in a trial or something. So he finds out the flight he's on and he releases like a hundred venomous snakes. Quite
0: onto the way this, to go about that. Yeah, onto this plane. <laughs> it's like a mastermind. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Try and hurt everyone, use oh a bunch gosh. of snakes. That's really easy yeah. to get on a plane. And we forgot to give a spoiler alert for that one. Oh, spoiler Ooh. alert! Because <laughs> a plane. came out like 20 years ago,
1: but spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: That doesn't count. It came out so long ago. <laughs> oh, That's man. an interesting,
2: interesting way to also. Kill can someone. I just say that when you have venomous, quote unquote, venomous snakes in a movie, I always have a really fun time looking at what snakes they're using because they're not venomous snakes. Mm. Typically, mm-hmm. they are corn snakes, a lot of rat snakes, king
0: snakes, and bull pythons. Fun, fun fact. Um, what are the snakes? Milk snakes and oh, milk snakes are another one. Oh, uh, What is the one that they look like? But... A coral, snake. oh, A coral snakes. Oh, coral
2: snakes. They use milk yes. snakes for coral snakes. Okay. Yes, because yes, they look so alike. But yeah, like Indiana Jones and the Snake Pit and things like that. If you look closely, you'll be able to look at what kind of snakes those are. Mm-hmm. Think, unless they're CGI there's some fun I CGI I think it's words, the same
1: thing it? on snakes in a plane like I think there's like a lot of like ball pythons a lot of ball there, pythons. And, yeah, yeah it's like yeah. none of them I find it fun <laughs> I think it's <laughs> hilarious but honestly what we've learned from this discussion is if snakes actually were brought on a plane they'd probably be just like hiding in the luggage area honestly <laughs> yes, I don't yes, think they'd they they be going after anyone <laughs> they would not come out of those cubbies <laughs> there's a takeaway alright <laughs> right. last one last one we've got here we're on a roll so far and maybe the biggest disrespect to a snake in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets oh. how does the basilisk kill people the basilisk is this lizard, massive like f- oh. i think the basilisk is a, like an like it's a species of lizard yes, yes but in the movie the basilisk is the name for a snake oh. but in real life yes oh, it's okay. a basilisk lizard. I'm not a you're right maybe this will get me all those points <gasps>
0: I'm not a Harry Potter person. Oh we both
1: my got night. canceled Jenna <laughs> <Whoa. laughs>
0: just canceled oh both of man. us.
2: Harry Potter is like the fall movie, too. Oh, man. Know? Maybe I'll have to give it a shot. Oh, my Get goodness. Get into it this
1: spooky season, yeah. But how does the basilisk... Yes, you're right. I think it's a lizard in real life. But in the movie, it's like this 50-foot massive snake. But how does it kill people? You can guess first if you haven't seen the movie. I haven't
0: seen it. Is it like some crazy Harry Potter wizardry? Wizardry? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Is it a constrictor?
1: Constrictor. He
0: looks. You can't look him in the eyes. Yeah, you can't oh, look him in the eyes. It's like eye. Medusa
1: situation, yeah. Yeah, Okay. You get yeah. Petrified. That's like ah. the disrespect they gave to the snake. It doesn't even need to touch you. It just looks you in the eyes, and oh, you're yeah. dead. Well, I'm can like, we
2: also talk about? So initially, I thought you were going to talk about
1: Nagini. Which oh, was Voldemort's yeah. Voldemort's snake. Yeah.
2: And you know, I was like, come on. I
1: know Nagini, who our dear Nagini our dear, here. Nagini. rest in peace. Yes. We we have a. We had a Burmese python named Nagini who just passed away. She was so, so sweet. She was amazing. I mean, I always thought it was interesting. I worked with Nagini for a short time in Night Hunters and, like, named Nagini, right? I'm like, this thing's going to be mean, and it's going to be this crazy snake. It's the sweetest, she most was the gentle sweetest. python in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How big
2: her- was she? Um, She ended up being about 15 feet. Wow. So 15 feet, over 100 pounds um, of just, you know amazing snake. You know, we'd take Mm -hmm. her out of her habitat and we'd take her outside to get some sun and she just, again, using the tongue, cruising around. She's not going to strike at anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the best. We, oh, met, we missed sorry. her a lot. I that mean, was a rough
0: one. Yeah. I bet.
1: She was sweet. She what? was super sweet.
0: I didn't know she was named after a Harry Potter
1: character.
2: She yeah. was. So, another good talking point because we're like, this Nagini, it's very nice, actually. Yeah. So, not like Voldemort's oh, Nagini. That.
1: Harry Potter, that's what I'm saying. Like, Harry Potter was disrespecting snakes. A little out disrespectful, anywhere. yeah. <laughs> Come on, JK, rolling. <laughs> Oh man! Thanks for humoring me with trivia. No problem. Do we have anything else for Jenna while we have her? Just our final.
0: What can I do? How can I be a better steward of the earth? Yeah, I think one thing I
2: would tell anybody is let's um you know we need to do better at just knowing what snake species we have around. I think one of the biggest killers of snakes is just our lack of knowledge of them. Like I talked about the corn snake. If we just know like, hey, that's a corn snake. It's not going to hurt me leave it be. It's not going to hurt you at all. It's not venomous. It's actually doing you a solid favor. Same with most of our snakes around here, especially in Cincinnati. And if you do come across a venomous snake, maybe reach out to somebody who's comfortable relocating. We talked about how important they are to our environment, to our ecosystem, how their or their venom is actually benefiting our health. Um, so I think it's just important to put into perspective the roles that these guys play and just kind of just being familiar with what, what wildlife we have around here. And let's make sure that you know if it is venomous let's just keep a healthy respectful distance they're not going to bother us at all they don't want to
0: um so that would be what i what i tell people is just give them a, give them a chance if i don't even know if i should say this but if somebody saw a snake let's say they know it's non-venomous and but they still didn't want the snake let's say in their garage How would you recommend they move it? Is there a way that's safe for the snake and safe for a person? Is there a a Uh, good idea for that? You can
2: use, honestly, if you have a stick or just any kind of tool you have, you can put it in a garbage bin and maybe just put it out in the forest somewhere. Or see if you can have a neighbor. Sometimes there are places you can call that will remove the snakes for you. Mm. Um... You know, um, there's also reptile rescues that might do that as well. Um, I, there's always somebody around that can help you remove a snake, um, but yeah, using the tools of what you have to your disposal, you don't have to get hands on with it if you don't want to,
0: but be gentle with it. You very know, very gentle, know if... yeah, they're
2: tough, but they're also a lot smaller than we are, and they are prone to getting injured. You know, they've got a very fragile spine, also. So, you know, some people have grabbers which you can use, but you again, you have to be super gentle, you don't want to squeeze the. The crap out of them, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. Just be mindful of, of you know, what they are.
1: Great, just live and let live. Live and let live,
0: exactly, definitely. Well, thank you so much for teaching us so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope if we made one person decide they are no longer afraid of snakes, then I'll call this a
1: success. It was a win, so, yeah. I, I, think, I think it'll be a win. <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs>
0: well, happy fall, y'all. Fall's yes. yeah. the best. Spooky season,
1: spooky season. I'm going to go watch Anaconda, honestly. I'm going to go watch um.
0: Snakes on a Plane. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
0: Jenna's going to watch Harry Potter. There we go. We all have assignments. There we go. <laughs> Have a great week. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.